Hi, we're so excited that you stopped by to check out this week's podcast. We hope that you will be blessed by the sermon. If you'd like more info about Providence, visit our website, providencecommunity.org. We hope to see you soon. And I just sense in my heart, too, that, that today, um, that uh, if you're not feeling crazy, crazy amped up today, just uh, sensing that uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, because I think also with a new season, God's ushering in this, like, no striving. I don't have to manufacture a feeling to be on fire for God. So sometimes, let, if you're feeling at peace today, that's where I am today. I'm just, wow, wow, God, it's just like, have you ever been under, underwater in a pool and it goes quiet? It's like, wow, that's, yeah. And so it's just like this no striving in the kingdom. You just get to be a son, be, a, be God's girl, and just send, not lose, and be blessed and belong. So, yeah, so just be encouraged today. Um, if you have your Bibles, please open to the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6. I've never preached on this passage of Scripture before in my life. Um, it's, a, it's a passage of Scripture um, that uh, is, is uh, speaking about a, a, an Old Testament prophet named Elisha. Um, not Elijah, but Elisha. Elisha uh, was, came after Elijah with a, a double portion of Elijah's blessing and his anointing. And Elisha is a man that we kind of miss in the, in the pages of the scriptures, not quite as famous as, as Elijah. Elijah, it shows up on the mountaintop of transfiguration with Moses and Jesus, but not Elisha. Uh, but uh, the life of Elisha has been on me really big today. And I think that when you look at his life, well, not, not just today, but in this season of my life. And I think when you look at Elisha's life, um, it's a... Uh, uh, God wants to rain down lots of encouragement, lots of encouragement into our hearts. And so this morning, I'd, I really, what's, what's in my heart is to just encourage you today. Um, I want to encourage you from the inside of you so it, and, until it spills to the outside of you. Um, even, even to the hard places in your heart where you refuse to be uh, encouraged, um, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, gonna press on you until you smile, all right? It's not wrong to smile in church, okay? Um, so I wanna encourage people today because I really do believe this. I've got this written here. It's interesting that what's been talked about and celebrated this morning, but I really do believe that we're in a season of leaving old seasons. I, I really believe that we're in a season um, of leaving old seasons where that one season was defined by pain. I think that we're in a season of leaving old seasons. Everything okay up here? All right, good. Uh, of leaving um, uh, seasons where that last season was defined by regret. Do you know what happens to a life where all you do is live in the regret season? Some of us know all too well. I think that God uh, is doing something where we're, we're leaving old seasons where um, the, the patterns in, the, in those old seasons, uh, you, you could just write unhealth over and that would sum up a whole lot. Unhealthy eating, unhealthy thinking, unhealthy dating, unhealthy relationaling. <laughs> You've got to go to years of seminary to understand that word, all right? But there's a lot of unhealth that we operate in, and I think God wants to encourage us out of that. 
He wants to infuse courage into us so we begin to move into new seasons, new seasons of victory. I'm not saying they're going to be easy, but I'm just saying they're going to be victorious. There's, in order to have a victory, you've got to face a battle. Uh, in order to have a victory, big or small, you've got to take down a giant. So there's, this is a, I'm not saying, I'm not speaking ease. I'm speaking a biblical purpose in a new season that's not defined by your past. But it's tremendously difficult to break out of unhealth and into freedom, I'm finding. Tremendously. I remember um, years ago, I was, I was uh, going into my first week-long fast because my wife was pregnant with uh, my son. And I was like, I'm going to fast for a week for this boy's heart and for his life, that he be a man of destiny, that he grow um, to, in all the purposes and pleasure of God. And I remember I, I started into that fast. Day one is always the worst of a fast because your whole body is crying out for a rack of ribs. And I'm, I remember uh, my wife just randomly and freakishly and just wonderfully just decide, decided that night, knowing full well that I was first day into a fast, she just decides to make mashed potatoes. And I'm like, what, girl? What did, we got premarital counseling, and you're doing this to me. Like, I don't, I don't. And it's really hard. It's like, it's like what, what, you're, what, what the season that you're, you're moving out of, and moving out of a weak season of, of, I want my physical hunger. Here's what fasting is. I want my physical hunger to turn into a spiritual desire. And so you say no to the physical, so be translated, welcome back, into the spiritual. <laughs> spiritual. And so, so you've got to say no to mashed potatoes, and, but the enemy's going to throw mashed potatoes at you in some way. When you start saying, hey, I want to walk out of my old season, I want to encourage you to do just that, no matter what's thrown at you. Do you know that this, that some people will love you when you're down, when you're poor, and when you're miserable, but question you when you excel and succeed and overcome? Do you know that? Do you know, this goes, this goes deeper than mashed potatoes here. Some people that call themselves your friend, they don't love you. They love your nasty season. They love the season that you're in because it makes them feel better about them. They love that you're always miserable so they can commiserate with you. They love that you're poor so they don't have to think about overcoming. But the second you say, no, I want to leave this season because I think that God's got a better future for me, they will assault you to keep you there because they don't want to change. Can someone give it like a holy ouch to that? Is it? <laughs> so your, your poverty mentality in this season, your lowliness that you just welcomed in this season was comforting to their own darkness. And if we want to change the nation, you want to change your family and stuff, like what it's going to take is, is people running into a free future and, and, uh, and bringing others with them, inspiring them and encouraging. Say like, like I've commiserated uh, with you for seven years too long. And the most loving thing I can do for you is I can run into my future. And you're always welcome. Right? So the, uh, 
some of our, some of our relationships, some of our marriages, some of our parenting, some, some of the relationships we have with our children, some of the relationships we have at our workplace, they're actually, they're built on pain about something. Some of, this, the, some of the connect groups in this church, you know what you connect on? How much pain you have about this church. Or, or, or maybe you all came from another church, and so it's just spiritual to blast that other church now that you're this one. But what has your heart is not the cross and revival, but you're still in a season of pain. You've just changed location. Holy ouch. Uh, so, some, like, some of us, our relations are, are built on misery, and all we've known is misery in our marriage, and that's the only place that feels comfortable. Some of us have built relationships on woundedness of a past season, but as I, I was up this morning talking to Jesus, I really felt like he impressed on my heart, tell my providence loved ones that that was so last season, it's old wine. It's old wine. <laughs> but God is making new wine in you. And so Second Kings is really this it's really this beautiful place where you see a man who is operating, he's operating in a new season while he's surrounded by people who are operating in an old one. And he's just being him. And he's confident as can be. He's confident, not prideful. So this is 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 to 19. And I'm just going to read a portion of this until about uh, verse 12. But if you're there, I'm reading out the ESV. Uh, if you've got another one, it's good. It's good. Once when the king of, of Syria was warring against Israel, that means they're fighting. You have to go to seminary. I know, I know. <laughs> he took counsel. This is the king of Syria. Took counsel with his servants, saying, at such and such a place shall be my camp. What he's saying is, where's the most strategic place for us to camp since we're at war with Israel? Here's, here might be a strategic place. Maybe a place where if we camp there and we're ready, Israel might not be suspecting us when they come by and we could take advantage of their not suspecting us. Where's the strategic place to camp? It's a good question. At such and such a place shall be my camp. Look at verse 9. But the man of God sent word to the king. Now, this is Elisha, okay? Whenever this passage refers to the man of God, it's referring to Elisha. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware that you, you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. So here's what's happening. The Elisha is a prophet. Um, somehow, in some way, the Bible doesn't say how or which way, and it really doesn't matter. But somehow, God is communicating where the Syrians are camping to the prophet Elisha, and then Elisha is communicating that to the king. And so what's happening is the king is, um, is instead of being defeated by surprise, the king is actually uh, is, is avoiding those places and turning the tables on the Syrians. You see this? Verse 10 and the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God, that's Elisha, told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And that's just a way of saying, man, this is kind of how the king, and the king is not a great dude here in this time in history, but Elisha's serving him despite that. Elisha's saving his life over and over again. More than once or twice does Elisha send word to the king 
You don't want to camp there. Syria's there. God communicated that to me. Here's a gift to you. Now, verse 11, and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing, and I think it would be. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, the the king has another meeting now. Now it's not a strategy meeting. Now it's a who's Who's, what's the word? Who's, who's not for me? Did somebody say something? What's the word there? Who's the traitor? Which one of you, I'm sharing my secrets with you, and then you're going out, so we never get what our strategy is supposed to lead us to. Somebody here is a traitor. This is how, this is how a, 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 a worldly kingdom-minded person talks. We're losing in battle, and it's somebody else's fault. Always, somebody else's fault. Who's the traitor? Who's the traitor? It's never my fault. It's never my wrong strategies. Never. It's just always someone's cheating on me. The mind of the king of Syria, verse 11, was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And then one brave person speaks up in verse 12. And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. Wow. Oh. <laughs> That is very good for the king of Syria to know. Right? <laughs> Can I really be careful what I speak there? Can I, let, me, let me share this with you guys. This is so good. This is so good. That Here, hold on just a second. Hold on. That maybe some of your worldly plans are actually being thwarted by someone who's praying for you. Okay? Like, stop getting angry and just start surrendering. God, was this plan a strategy from your kingdom or this one? But here's something else, that your giftedness and your success can and does make you a target, okay? You hear this? That your giftedness and your success can and does make you a target, okay? We want you to learn your spiritual gifts, your spiritual wirings, and, and, we, and we, uh, we celebrate callings and destinies. We celebrate futures. We celebrate uh, diff- different giftedness and diversity in giftedness. We love to see Holy Spirit pour out whatever he wants on the church. But you've got to know, when you start operating in those, you're going to be in, in the enemy's sights. It's like, how come before we were married, life was great? because you weren't married. And when you got married, what happened is you didn't get the old ball and chain. That's what the world says. Actually, you got liberty that the world doesn't know about in marriage. What happened is is a, a heavenly covenant was stamped on your life that the enemy hates, and so he attacks. <laughs> you, you wonder why you need premarital counseling. It's not to figure out when will we release the white doves in our ceremony. Oh, man, that's great. Yeah, I've always wanted to know what it is to balance a checkbook. Well, you should figure out that that's really important. But what we want is we want you to be strong when you get attacked, because you will. Your giftedness and your success, it makes you a target. So who is this that's reading our mail? The king of Syria says, it's Elisha. Elisha tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. 
oh, what do we do about that? When Elisha's giftedness is now on display for the enemy to see. What do we do with that? When Elisha didn't sit on his word, he spoke it. What do we do with that? When, when Elisha uh, didn't stay in the shadows and in private, but went public, what do we do with that? Well, here's what the king of Syria does. He says in verse 13, send and seize him. We're going to stop that. Suddenly the battle is not with Israel, it's with the prophet. Interesting how that happens. Do you know this, that if you're serving to advance the kingdom of light and drive out the kingdom of darkness, the darkness won't just tremble, but will also retaliate. Okay? And this is, this is a, a good-old-fashioned, heavenly, very victorious, battle-already-won war. Yeah. So it's just like when, when God's kids walk into battle, it's like, it's going to be fun. You know, it might hurt some, but we've already won. All right, see. So this, is, this isn't like, oh, no, don't come out of the shadows. This is, this is what are you doing in the shadows when the battle's won, all right? Um, this morning, uh, my daughter, Alina, she couldn't get her, her nightgown off. I think she could. I just think she wanted daddy's help. And so, uh, but, uh, so I can't get my nightgown off. And, and I, I surprised her and I go, I, go, uh, I rebuked that nightgown or something like that. And I was like, whoosh, and I whipped it up. And she, she ran, jumped into her bed and hid because uh, I scared her. I, oh, no, I'm not angry at you. It's just I'm, I'm fighting with an opposition to you. Oh, oh, it's, it's scary. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes the father has fun with us and, 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 and speaks over us things we never could imagine. And we want to hide in bed, but God's just saying, no, come on. This is going to be a blast. I'm going to have fun with my kids today. We're going to kill demons. All right. This is going to be good. This is going to be good. So here's, and, and here, let me ask you a question. In your old season, were you a threat to the kingdom of darkness? In your old season, were you? When your old season, when you were constantly commiserating, in your old season, when you didn't have friends, you just had people that loved to pout. In your old season, when you didn't have, you didn't have allies, you just had people that loved your season. Were you a threat to the kingdom of darkness is the question. And the, the answer to that is a good biblical no way. Now, if you are in a, a, a wanting to come out into a, a new season, I promise you you're going to be a major threat to darkness. As, as God shines glory out of your life and darkness is scurrying, you're suddenly going to be a threat. And here's Elisha. He's serving the king with his gifts. He's serving God with his gifts, which offends another king. And now he's on the bad king's radar. And this is how it works sometimes. People operating in an enemy kingdom in an old season will blame you for the situation they find themselves in. Just, I... I I, I see this in the Bible, and I've, and I've experienced this in my life. We're moving into a new season. I like the old one. Me too. We actually put some stones there to remember what God did in that one. But we're not, we're, we're leaving the Jordan River, and we're going to the promised land, girl. 
No, but I like the old season. I like to dance around the stones. (laughs) Buddy, we're going to the new season. Then they chase you with a knife. (laughs) So I'm not the enemy. (laughs) This season's biblical. And so is this one. (laughs) So we're we're not leaving the Bible I'll chase you with a knife if you do that. <laughs> that You want to be biblical about it. Come on. And Elisha just had to say to the king, like, I'm not responsible. I, I'm not responsible for the king of Syria's weirdness. I, I, I'm not even responsible for the king of Israel's lack of faith in Yahweh. What I'm responsible to do is be me in the midst of this weird season. And I'm just not going to live in the old one. Your giftedness and your success is going to make you a target. That's not a bad thing. Don't let the enemy scare you back into the shadows. But here's another thing that I see in this is that the enemy can actually move in overnight. I've seen this so much. Emphasis on the overnight. Sometimes, and you see, do you see this in verse 14, that um, the king of Syria says, send and get Elisha. And so they didn't come in the... And the brightness of the day, they came by night, and what they did is they surrounded the city. The city that Elisha is in is the city of Dothan. Now, I don't know if that rings a bell to you, but it rang a bell to me, and I looked that up. This is the city that Joseph was in when he, Joseph in the coat of many colors, Joseph, Joseph the 11th son, all right, of all of the tribes. This is, this, is the, this is the city that Joseph went to to find his older brothers, and he was betrayed there and sold into slavery there. This is that. And now here we are, Elisha's in Dothan, and once again, we've got people surrounding this same city to haul someone off to slavery. And some cities are actually known for their weird. Some cities actually have a, a the enemy has a special grip on them. The, the, the enemy surrounding certain cities. And like Elisha, I, I want to actually be the church in our cities that says whatever's been defining our, our cities in the past, whether it's slavery or whatever in the past, joylessness is what I describe Hanover to be. What you don't eat at the famous Is there a problem with that? Because I've got a list of great reasons why. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my, my health and wanting to live past 61 being the first. But uh, you know, what, what, that's not how we do it in our town. <laughs> that's striking nerve? Look at it. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's... <laughs> oh man! So here's the uh, so here's the enemy's the, the enemy's move today is, is often in response to a victory we experienced yesterday. Okay, so so there's and, and, and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right. Okay, so uh, the but the enemy's move is in response to a victory yesterday. So there's a victory yesterday. Elisha let the king of Israel know where we were. So what we'll do is we're going to counter that and move in overnight while their guard's down. So the king was saved yesterday. 
Today we're going to sur- surround the king's ally. So it, I experience this quite often um, after a great Sunday. After a great Sunday, which is honestly every Sunday at Providence lately. Like I just, I'm just like, oh man, wow. Just you literally could not pay me any sum of money to leave this church. I just, I just, I just long to be here. And people have tried. That's what you guys don't know. <laughs> you have no clue what a commodity I am today, all right? You have no clue here, all right? Yeah. But, um, but what happens is after a great Sunday, I'm expecting Monday just to be more of the great glory that I tasted of yesterday. But Monday is often the time where the enemy tries to win the battle after the battle. There's always this battle after the victory where the enemy has lost ground he's trying to lose. Or Have you ever been on vacation and you guys have a great vacation? You even borrowed another family's golden retriever dressed in denim, uh, uh, posed on the beach, <laughs> did fake smiles with, with like weird stances. Yeah. You come home, you buy a dog. That one was so nice. And it's just like you have these great family things, and then, then you return to reality, and you're like, where's the victory? Well, it's because you weren't expecting the enemy to move in overnight. Because that's what he does. He's miserable. While we're sleeping in our, in our most vulnerable place, he loves to surround. So that's when we sing the, in, on Endless Hallelujah, in the morning when I rise to meet you. I guarantee you, the second I open my eyes, Jesus has to be the first thought in my brain. Like before my feet hit the floor, like I, I am like, God, I'm literally, literally not reaching for my phone now. Like I'm, I'm in battle posture. I'm fighting for joy today, Jesus. Be like, let the cross and all of its goodness sustain me. You got to welcome him in. So, but after, after great Sunday or great vacation or great whatever, you get home and the battle starts. The enemy hates losing ground. If you're going to be a ground taker, uh, you're probably going to be surrounded at night. And so you just get up victorious. But I love verse 15. It says, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out. So Elisha has a guy that hangs with him, that serves him. And when he went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots uh, was around the city. And the servant said, alas. I actually had to look that up. It means, oh no, all right? (laughs) Oh no, my master, what shall we do? Now, I love this part because you get a servant who's not in the season that Elisha is, all right? If he was in that place, I have no doubt that Elisha would have released him, but he's not in that place yet. So he gets up first thing in the morning, sees that they're surrounded, Streams, alas, at Elisha, what shall we do? Now, the things that, the main thing that Elisha says to do is, is, is this. He calls his servant to make a biblical realization. There's a biblical reality at work here. It doesn't look like it. It looks like surrounding. 
it looks negative, it feels negative, it doesn't let you enjoy your morning, but there's a biblical realization that Elisha stays uh, confident in. I love Elisha that, that when he's asked what to do, it's not like he surveys the scene, he doesn't call for strategy sessions, nothing like that. He's, he's confident. He roll, I, I picture him still sipping his coffee, looking at, oh yeah, looks like we could have a problem here. But he calls for this biblical realization, and here's what he says and in verse 16, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In other words, he says this, here's the, I, I, servant, I'm calling you to the biblical realization that though we are surrounded by an enemy, it's an enemy from a defeated kingdom. There are actually more for us than against us. This is the perspective that the church needs to live in. So often we live in this, this uh, I've always lost, I'm going to continue to lose, and if you continue to play that out, you're going to be a loser in your future. But here God is saying, no, no, I've, I've surrounded you for favor. I've surrounded you for victory. In fact, I've, I've, I'm blanketing you with heavenly protection, and there are literally more for you than against you. Do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Angelic hosts are surrounding the army that's surrounding you. You hear this? You hear this? Because I'm recommending that this is not a special circumstance. I'm recommending that this is how God does it. We have to be weary of reading the Bible and say, special circumstance, special circumstance, Special circumstance, special circumstance. Okay, yeah. Well, that's awesome. I love that. Special circumstance, though. And this is actually how we're trained to read. But if God is supernatural in the Bible, it's because he's supernatural in operation. It's not a special circumstance. It's how God loves to work. I'm suggesting that if you're a son or a daughter in Christ, if, if you've been adopted into the family if you've gone from death to life, from darkness to light, I'm suggesting that those who are for you are in greater number than those who are against you, no matter how it feels in whatever season that you're in. I'm suggesting that. I'm su- suggesting that, that no matter what season you're in, where it's a, it's a dark one or it's a coming out of the, the shadows one or whatever season you're in, I'm suggesting that your enemies are always outnumbered. I'm suggesting that you can you can let your defensiveness go because you're not even responsible in your own strength for the the defense of the kingdom that you're serving in. I'm I'm suggesting that there are more for you than there are against you. I'm suggesting that you've got an identity of son and daughter, and God cares more about that than you know. I'm suggesting that when you wake up in the morning and you, you see that you were surrounded as you slept and thoughts of worry that have kept you up all night and thoughts of frustration, memories that popped into your head that you thought you had forgotten about, but it's just that you'd never been healed. As they came to you in the night, you don't have to get up and serve them anymore. That's what I'm suggesting the Bible commands. Second Chronicles, you know, this isn't on the screen, and you don't, even, you don't even have to worry about turning there, but Second Chronicles chapter 32, verses 6 through 8, is another place where God meets his people like this. 
a huge, uh, well, this is King Hezekiah now. And the opposing king set combat commanders over the people. And, and uh, well, actually, actually, the opposing king is coming against Hezekiah. And Hezekiah set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city, because that's where you get attacked, and spoke encouragingly to them. But follow a leader that when you're under attack, the leader doesn't scream at you in shame and say, which one's the traitor? Follow a leader that under attack, he can smile and say, I don't encourage your hearts. I don't encourage you guys big. We're only surrounded by an inferior army. It's going to be good. Anybody want to hunt some demons? Huh? Huh? You guys want to do that? It's going to be fun. So he actually speaks this. Look at verse 7. Hezekiah says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. I, I love that, that he doesn't even call them an army. just calls them a horde. They, they just like to go axe things. For there are more with us than with him. This horde, they, may, they only look big, but there's more with us. With him is an arm of flesh, good King Hezekiah says. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence. Do you see? It's not wrong to be confident in God. The people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. This is good. So I want to... This is a New Testament idea as well. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says that where Paul says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And we have a long list of who's against us. We say, But what Paul is saying is, though they're against you, if God is for you, they don't win. If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. So I, the, the last moment I have here, I want to I share with you, and I, I want to encourage you to make no room in whatever season you're in or going into for three things. Here's the first thing. I want to encourage you, make no room in your season for fear. There's no season. There's no season where it's, where it's acceptable to fear. None. But many of us, it's not just our season, but our whole lives are actually defined by fear. We make decisions financially, fear-based. We make decisions for our kids, fear-based. We make decisions for our whatever, fear-based. And there's none of, hey, God, what do you have for me in this season? It's like fear keeps winning the day, and you can't make room for that. God says, I don't care if it looks bad on the outside. You've got to hear my voice and my biblical reality that is constantly for you. You, New seasons have no room for fear, and neither neither do old ones. Do you see this in verse 16? Elisha, the very first thing he says to his servant who wakes up and sees the army is, do not be afraid. So somebody needs to make sure this is outlaw fear. And you need to wear that in whatever season you're in. I'm suggesting that every old season had some type of fear at its core. And, and if, uh, if you begin to attack fear, you're stepping into a new season. Uh, can, I, can I make a, a biblical, uh, another biblical statement, big, biblical recommendation? That part of worship, biblically speaking, is actually attacking fear. And that's why it feels so weird to some of us who just aren't in a season where, where fear's on a radar. 
And we create theologies and stuff like, yes, it's not my style. It's not my upbringing and stuff. But the interesting thing is I would love somebody sometime to actually read the whole Bible and take, take one, one verse is all I would need. One verse where it is actually okay to stay locked in your fear because you've got a worship style. Worship style is an unbiblical concept. And we should not be asking ourselves, what style do I worship in? We should be asking ourselves, what does God demand from me this morning? What kind of worship does God want from me this morning? This one? This song doesn't speak to me. But what does? When you're in a posture like this. And we hide behind styles, but really what it is is fear. You know, Psalm 33 actually commands us to shout. It doesn't suggest it, it commands it. Um, the, the Psalm 33 commands us to sing a new song. It doesn't, command, it, it doesn't suggest it, it commands it. Uh, Psalm 33 commands us to sing, or it might be Psalm 34, I'm not sure, but it's Psalm 30-something. Just read it. But Psalm 33, I really believe it is, commands us to sing. And so standing there and just saying, I'm not a singer. I don't have a good voice. God's not asking for a good voice. He's asking for song. And so when you begin to sing, what's going to happen is you're going to be conquering your fears. And glory rushes in. Okay? This is what happens. And this is why in the church, historically speaking, there's been worship wars. Worship wars, worship wars, because it's one, it's one season of fear crashing in or trying to crash in on, on another season of freedom. And the, the, the question is not, how do you like to worship? The, what instrumentation do you like? What arrangement of that song do you want? What part do you want to, should people be raising their hands or not? Should people be doing the worm on the floor or should they be sitting and, uh, you know, and bowing? Should it be quiet or soft? You, uh, it doesn't matter as long as it's worship. As long as there's no fear in it. As long as you're singing like the Bible says, shouting like the Bible says, lifting your hands like the Bible says, do it stinking acapella. I don't care. I don't care. But what I want to see is a generation that is fearless in their worship of God. Fearless in their worship. <laughs> the, uh, some of our relationships, they're going nowhere because they're, they're just, the, the, at the core of the relationship is fear. Always questioning are you getting home five minutes late because you cheated on me? Who can sustain a relationship like that when you're constantly being questioned? Maybe the fear is, I just cheated and they're going to find me out. And so I've got to create a false reality. So I'm never found. Afraid that I will be known. But fear is just not welcome. Fear just corrupts everything. New seasons have no room for fear. Here's a good one. New seasons have no room for blindness. You like that? I like that. Look at verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said. It's very interesting. Hold on a second. Hold on. The whole army of heaven is surrounding the, the Assyrians. And what Elisha does is he doesn't shout like a dog command, like, release! It's not like that. He prays. You know, the most powerful thing you can do to access all of the strength of heaven is pray. Can we get back to just what Christianity is supposed to be? You get in the Bible, you believe what it says, 
that God, the Bible says God's a God of the, the impossible, and you stand on that, and then you pray and you ask him to do what the world never would, and you say, wow. Can we just get back to what the Bible says, please? Please. And stop being okay with blindness. Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please. It's not demanding. It's not commanding. He just knows that. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes, speaking to his, his uh, servants. Open his eyes that he may not understand, not know, not get it, but may see. God, my prayer is not that you do anything other than let my friend here see. There's no room for blindness in this kingdom. We've got we've to see well. And what happens at this prayer is he saw and behold. That's interesting. This word behold, you have to see to behold something either spiritually or physically. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And so the servant could see why Elisha was sipping coffee and, and singing something fun instead of freaking out with him in the morning. There's, there's no room for blindness. And I think that, that one of the new things that God wants to do is instead of theologizing why it's okay to be blind, I think the new thing that God's doing is just say, pray that you get eyes to see. Here would be the first thing I'd pray. Pray that you see Jesus as the joy-producing, all-encompassing, uh, life-wrecking treasure of the universe, invaluable treasure that he is, because that'll change your life. So you're not serving God, trying to impress, but you're like, why would I ever settle for anything other than him? I want to see him. But here's the other thing before I release you on the world. I'm serious about that. You guys are going to tear through your neighborhoods in the most heavenly way this week. I think we're going to hear testimonies and reports of how you're bringing the kingdom to people and seeing people. But new seasons have no room for re revenge. And this is one that I, I really need to share because I think there's too much revenge in our hearts. Do you see what happens to uh, uh, you know, through the, the prophet Elisha, don't you think Elisha would be a little angry at people that surrounded him and tried to force him into slavery or take his life? I would. But verse 18, here's what happens. When the Syrians came down against him, God allowed the, God allowed the opposing armies to advance, interestingly. So when they come down against him, Elisha goes back to praying. It's such a weapon. And he says, strike them with blindness. Now, this is, this is, now he's, like I just said, there's no blindness in this kingdom, but here's, he's, he's striking them with blindness, like old, old kingdom. Strike them with, let them live in the kingdom for real that they're actually participating in. Strike them with blindness. And God does that. And then Elisha leads them to his king. Like a trophy. It's king of Israel. I've got, the whole, I've got your whole enemy that was surrounding me this morning. I've got him here. And then what happens to the king is you can see the king isn't quite after God's heart in verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He's like a little kid. Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I do it? Can I strike them? Can I get them? And he answered, you shall not strike them down. And said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to feed them. Your whole army, I want you to feed them. I should remove the blindness sit him down to a banquet. Just 
Keep your best on them. And this is otherworldly kingdom kind of stuff here, guys. And new kingdoms that God's taking you into, he's not, he's not repositioning you at a place of influence so you can now get a better angle on the people from your last season that you despise still. He's taking you to a new kingdom so the people that you despised can actually encounter Father's heart through your love for them when you should want revenge on them. The, uh, so God's, God's, in God's kingdom, the people that deserve revenge get blessed. In God's kingdom, the people that deserve uh, revenge get protection. In God's kingdom, the people that deserve revenge get strengthened and fed and loved. I ran into a guy at a, at a store. It's interestingly, whenever, you know, I've got, there's hundreds of people who have left Providence without saying bye that I'm kind of hurt about. I think if my son left the house too, without saying bye, I'd be kind of hurt about that. My wife, I'd be hurt about that. There's people that just left, leave the family, leave the family, talk family, talk family, talk family, leave the family. I ran into such a dude in the meat aisle. And I, uh, it's, it's like Father's heart <sighs> downloaded into me. I walked up to this guy and I hugged him. I shook his hand. It is so good to see you. I rocked weirdly like we're at the prom. Oh, God. How are you doing? Kurt answers. Because when you leave bad, it keeps feeling bad. So if you see me at Target and you've left, you're probably going to go down some aisle and hide behind a mannequin. Okay, he's gone. But here comes Lena. Oh, great. Because she, she works the store, friends. But what I did is I hugged this guy. I prom danced with him. And then I just opened my heart to God. Do you want to say anything to him? And I felt like the Spirit said, call him a powerhouse. So I slapped him on the shoulder and I said, you're a powerhouse, man. It's so good to see you. Continue to the ice cream aisle. All right. <laughs> but there's, there has to be something. The kingdom of God has to crash on this world so there's not revenge in our hearts when we see people. There's Father's love when we see people. I'm not, carrying, I'm not carrying old pain into new seasons. I'm not operating like that anymore. That's just not my season. That's not even my kingdom uh, anymore. Remember when it snowed, uh, uh, like maybe like a month ago? We had that big snow on that, that Sunday evening. I was out in my SUV doing great. I was seeing scions spinning off the road everywhere, man. There, I even saw one car like on its side. I was stopping, pushing people out, calling ambulances. Everybody okay? And just cruising through the snow, and I realized that these vehicles had gone to operate in a terrain that they weren't ready for. They're, in other words, they're not operating in their season. And I'm wondering, guys, if, if God's got you in a season, but you're, you're taking your old wounds and your old pains, your, your thoughts of revenge, your thoughts of failure, and God's calling you into new terrains, but you're trying to operate with those, and you're sliding over the all over the road, and God's not the one that you blame when that happens. God's calling you out to something bigger and stronger. I'm just wondering this morning, who wants this? If you want this, can you just stand your feet? Can you just stand up? You want this? You want to operate in a new season? Maybe put your hands out to God in a receiving posture. So God, I just, I, just, uh, I just share my heart with you, God, this morning that uh, as, uh, as one of your sons and as, as, kinda, as, as one of the fathers in this house, I just say, God, we want this, whether we want it or not. 
We want this, God, whether we want it or not. We just want to receive this morning just the, the benefit in the heart of your kingdom, God. We, we may be, feel surrounded, but we're not surrounded by anything but you. God, we, we want eyes to see. We want hearts to respond to the good things that you're doing these days. And I pray, God, for people that are really afraid to step out of an old season. God, I just pray for supernatural strength to them. I just pray, God, that you would meet them and you would encourage them into their new season, God. And they become seekers of your heart in a dark day. They bring, be a, a, like a lamp and a torch in a very dark day, God. That they, that they would be people who, instead of shying away when the winds of your spirit blow, they'd be those who hoist a sail into the atmosphere and say, lead me into new boundaries, into new places, God. So touch your people, bless them, fill them, occupy their thinking, and send them like missionaries into a field today, God, to find the people in the highways and byways, to find the people that your heart is broken for, to find the people that, that feel like the church and God himself no longer cares. So God, send us out today with hearts full of your heart. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify your name. We lift you high. God, as Resurrection Sunday is approaching, I just pray for a massive amount of salvations, massive amount of salvations, God that you would do great and mighty and awesome things. God, we bless you, we praise you, and we ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. Let's give it like a little bit of shouting, a little bit of clapping. <laughs>